Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the firing of MSU football coach Mel Tucker by the university, but we're talking about it in the context of governance. How do we run these giant public education uh, institutions in our state? MSU, University of Michigan, and Wayne State all have elected boards that have had trouble recently governing and being transparent about that governance. We're going to talk with a reporter who covers higher ed and with two experts who think a lot about governance, about why we're having trouble here in Michigan, and how we move forward. That's where we begin the conversation today with Mel Tucker's firing at MSU, but the bigger backdrop story of governance at Wayne and Michigan and Michigan State. A little later, we're going to talk with experts in higher ed and compliance to get their thoughts on these questions. But to start, I'm joined by one of the most knowledgeable people in our state when it comes to higher ed reporting. David Jesse is a senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Ed, where he covers college leadership. He has been following the developments at MSU and other universities in the state and joins us now to provide his insight. David, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the Mel Tucker investigation. Big news yesterday that the university decides to fire Mel Tucker. Now, this is ahead of hearings that they said were going to take place next month, after which they were going to try to make a decision about what to do with him. Uh, Now they're saying they don't need to wait for that. They want to go ahead and fire him. Tell us what happened yesterday and how that changes the overall narrative uh, of the story of Mel Tucker. So in some ways, it doesn't change the narrative at all. They're still going to hold the hearing in October to see if Mel Tucker violated um, university policy. What they did yesterday when they fired him is to basically say, you've already admitted to violating the morals clause in your contract. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to wait until this hearing. We can fire you now. In fact, we're going to start the process. We're sending you this letter notifying you of it. You now have seven days to respond to us to tell us why you shouldn't be fired. And then presumably we're going to just go ahead and fire you fire you anyway. But they so they started that process. So um, they said because you admitted back in March to an investigator that you had phone sex with um, with a vendor. And then because of the blowback that's been on the university after this story published in USA Today and everything that's happened, all the headlines, all the people like you and me that are writing and talking about all this, you have brought uh, public disrespect upon the university. And so that's enough uh, evidence. That's all we need to force you out and to cancel, to fire you for cause, which then in turn cancels his 10 uh, 10-year, $95 million contract. Yeah. So so let's talk about why this didn't happen in March, which was when this investigation uh, was started after the, the, the allegations. Why did it not happen, I suppose, back in December when all of this kind of first came to light? What what's the what what is the essence of now? I guess in in the university announcing this decision. 
Well, now it's all about public pressure, right? It's about the public knows about this. They're demanding some sort of action. And so the university is taking it. Why this didn't happen in December or in March or in July when the outside investigator uh, finished compiling a report, we don't know. What we do know is some of this is a conscious choice among university uh, administrators, at the top level, the president, interim president, um, the athletic director, some of this, um, some of those positions, and the board saying, we don't want to know any details. Because if you remember, for years, going back to Nasser, the administration and the board have been knocked for meddling in these types of investigations. And so the the this time around, the board, the administration, top levels of administration basically stuck their heads in the sand and said, we don't want to know anything about it. Do all the process, do all the stuff. Don't tell us about it. Don't tell us the names of who's made the acquisition. Don't tell us any details about it. Just don't tell us anything we don't want to know. If we don't know, we can't be accused of, you know, putting pressure one way, one way or another. And that, of course, has backfired because now everyone's asking the question you just asked, which is, why now? Why in September? Why not in March? Why not in July? Why wasn't Coach Tucker um, suspended in December when the first allegation came in? Certainly, there are a number of universities and other governmental agencies that when an allegation comes in, you know, a, a coach, an employee is placed on paid or unpaid leave while an investigation happens, and then a decision is reached. We don't know why. We also don't know why it took so long. Remember at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, when there was an allegation made against their president, it took them four weeks to hire an outside investigator, mm -hmm. to do an investigation, and then to fire him for having an inappropriate relationship with an, with an employee. So there's all kinds of questions, but it all wraps into this broader issue of, of Michigan State's mishandling of of these type of complaints going going back and coming out of the Nasser uh, situation. So, so, I, and I think that's a great segue to the, the the kind of broader context here. This is not just what is happening at Michigan State; it is also happening at the University of Michigan. Uh, and as I said in the in the open at Wayne State, we've also had these strange sort of tensions uh, going on between. Uh, the administration and the elected board over over governance of the university. And I think that that is the central issue here, governance, how these institutions are run. Um, can you talk some about the, the, the role that the board of trustees or the board of regents uh, at the University of Michigan uh, are supposed to be playing in, in terms of these kinds of issues and other governance questions. As I said in the open, Michigan State has had four presidents in six years, uh, and the most recent president resigned because he said he'd lost confidence in the board of trustees. I, I, I think all of this points to uh, 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 an instance of some sort of crisis in terms of the governance of these of these universities, or at least real questions about how we do it. Yeah, exa exactly. I mean, so the board's role, generally speaking, is to provide high level um, 
policy and directions citing their basic job. They have one employee. Basically, they hire the president. That's their job. They set the budget and then they shape direction where they've run into problems. And you've seen it at all three of these universities that you mentioned is when they start getting into the day to day weeds weeds of running the unit running the university. The issue is they also are supposed to provide oversight for the administration for the president and particularly at Michigan State for years and years and years and it's still going on today. There are a number of board members who see their role as being a rubber stamp um, of supporting the administration that that's what their job is instead of saying is this the right way of phrasing questions that help um, make sure things are are going properly and when you push back you know you can push back too far right and that can happen wayne state where board members fought with the president uh, Roy Wilson for a long time mm -hmm. there. They were trying to be too involved. In fact, there was an accusation that one board member was like trying to approve uh, em specific employee hires and, and pro grant programs and stuff. And mm -hmm. so so that's where you, you kind of swing that pendulum. The other thing you have to think about, particularly in Michigan State's case, is why people are on board or on the board. And in Michigan State's case, they were often on the board for the status that that provided to them. Mm -hmm. I'm a Michigan State board member. When I go to the Lansing Country Club, when I go to these places, people recognize me for that. When I move in that political bubble that is Lansing and East Lansing, I have status. I can go to, I can go to uh, football games and I can invite my friends to come to the suite. At Michigan State, when I was at the Detroit Free Press, we showed, you know, that trustees were routinely flying on the team plane and bringing friends with them. We know that that went on, and you know, as recently as the last couple of years, there were trustees on basketball team uh, flights to the Bahamas and to San Diego in the last two basketball seasons. Mm -hmm. And so, it gets into this: Why do you want to be on the board? And then, what do you see your role as being once you get there? Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about the controversy over football coach Mel Tucker at MSU and the broader question of governance at the three public universities in our state where the boards of trustees or regents are elected statewide. Uh, we also want to get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. Give us a call and let us know what you make of the controversy over Mel Tucker at MSU, but also the controversies that seem to be coming up more frequently these days at Wayne State, at University of Michigan, and at Michigan State over governance. Should we be rethinking the way these universities are run? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can make you part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Michigan State University says it will fire head football coach Mel Tucker after allegations surfaced that he was involved in what he says is a consensual relationship with a vendor uh, who was helping the university deal with sexual harassment at the, the university and on the football team. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you have joined. We're talking about not only uh, the controversy surrounding Mel Tucker, the football coach, but how that controversy really envelops the governance of the university. There are lots of instances these days where the governance of our three largest universities in our state, Wayne State, University of Michigan, and Michigan State University, all of which have boards that are elected by a statewide vote, um, have played an interesting role, let's just say, uh, that uh, they are behaving in ways that often shield controversy from the public uh, and alienate the administrators uh, who they are employing. Does that point to the need for us to be rethinking the governance at those universities? We've got uh, David Jesse with us. He is a senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Ed, where he covers college leadership. I want to introduce another voice to the conversation as well. Bradley Disick is the executive vice president of Emerging Issues and Technology for Guidepost Solutions, LLC. His experience includes leadership roles on the Department of Justice, monitorship of General Motors, advising the Board of Regents for the University of Michigan on best and next practice strategies in the aftermath of sexual misconduct findings against its former provost. He's also overseen Oxford Community Schools school shooting independent investigation and formerly was a special advisor to the Detroit Masonic Temple Board of Trustees. Uh, Bradley Disick, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for, for having me. So I, I want to talk to you about the atmosphere in which these boards uh, at, at these universities are making these kinds of decisions. As we said in the first segment, uh, MSU found out about what, what was going on with its head football coach, Mel Tucker, back in December. There was an investigation launched in March and concluded in July, and the university didn't take any action. It wasn't until... Uh, a story leaked to USA Today about what was going on, that they agreed to do anything. They first suspended Tucker, and now they've decided to fire him. Of course, that looks like an abdication of the responsibility that they're supposed to have. Uh, I I wonder, uh, given your experience advising boards like this, uh, whether you agree that that, uh, that that looks a little strange. So, you know, Stephen, in my experience, a board's responsibility is to provide oversight. And, and their, fo- their first and foremost power is to hire and fire a president. And that power to fire a president re- requires them to ask questions of that president. It requires them to be informed. And when you have an allegation against what I would call a high-profile person or an executive officer, like a head football coach, the board has a responsibility, as you suggested, to ask questions, to be informed, to make sure that the administration, the president, the general counsel, you know, in this case, the Title IX director, are handling that matter correctly. Now, that does not mean that they need to breach any sort of confidentiality, um, knowing the name of a victim. You know, in certain cases where there is, you know, say, a high-profile person who is the reporter 
of the complaint or maybe it's a minor. You know, they don't necessarily need to know the name, but they should at least know some, you know, identifiers of that person because that creates heightened risks for the institution, heightened risks for the university. And that helps inform the board to ensure through their oversight um, responsibilities whether the president and the institution is handling that matter correctly. So so if 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 you were the person advising this board at Michigan State, what would you have suggested they do in December, in March, or in July rather than in September? I, I think they have an issue. They already have heightened risk in Michigan State around sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. So they have to have a heightened sensitivity around any issue that could create harm to the institution, um, you know, whether that's through liability or that's through reputation. You know, they need to have this heightened sense of, hey, this could really harm the institution. We need to get on top of this and make sure it's done right. So if I'm advising them, I'm saying, hey, we need to do an investigation. We need to do an investigation quickly. We have a high-profile person who you know, is facing a serious allegation of misconduct. We need to know the truth, and we need to know the truth as quickly as we can so that we can respond um, in, 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 as fast as possible so that we can mitigate the harm to the institution if something bad really did happen here. And so the the way that it played out was that there was an investigation and it did wrap up pretty quickly, but then there was no decision made and there was no uh, there was no transparency applied to that situation. The university didn't say anything. Does that does that reflect best practice in the, in your view? I, I I would say that when the investigative findings were made. There, the, the president should have been informed by the general counsel and the president should have then informed the board and had a conversation of how do we respond. There was no need for them to wait until an investigative report was written. You had a single person doing an investigation, you know, a very comprehensive investigation that included, from what I understand, 1,200 you know, different documents. Um, that's going to take time for one person to write up a report. So the, the president, the board, they need to be informed. That's part of their responsibility. And as part of the responsibility to be informed, they need to make a decision. And with the heightened risk they have around sexual misconduct, the heightened risk that they have around an allegation against a high-profile person like a, like a football head football coach, they need to make a decision immediately once they have those facts. Yeah, yeah. Again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You also can go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in our conversation that way. Uh, David, Jesse, I want to bring you back into the conversation here. How much in your view, is the the interim nature of the administration at MSU and the ongoing controversy over that spot confounding, I guess, the 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 oversight of issues like this? Uh, we, we have heard that, for instance, uh, the, the, the interim president didn't know about some of this uh, as early as other folks did. Also, there were some members of the board who said, that they had not been informed is the is the transition at MSU, which seems to have been going on for a really long time. Quite frankly, uh, is that one of the culprits here? I think one of the culprits here is that transition, and I think maybe even more broadly, it's this 
continued transition that's been going on at Michigan State since Luana Simon was pushed out back in the immediate aftermath of the of the Nasser case, right? Mm -hmm. You had an interim president come in, John Engler, who got pushed out for comments he made about Nasser survivors and the way he was handling the, the, the situation. You had Samuel Stanley, Stanley then be hired and he was there. And then there was controversy over the, the, the resignation, forced resignation of a business school dean who was returned back to the faculty. Uh, the current interim president was the provost at the time, um, and she was involved in the, that. And then the board got involved of asking questions of Stanley, commissioned an independent review of that situation. That's when it all broke down between Stanley and the board, and he wrote or posted a scathing four-minute video quitting and saying he had lost all confidence in the board, um, which is unusual. Normally, it's a board that loses confidence in the in the president. So it was kind of funny that it was the other way around. But and then you had Woodruff named, and you know when she was named, everyone was seemed seemed very happy with her uh, being named president, and she was rumored that the job was pretty much hers to be the permanent. And then over the course of time, that's kind of some of this handling of this situation that's kind of now slipped away. And she recently said. She isn't. She she doesn't want to be considered for that job. She pulled her she's pulled her name out of that. The independent investigation looking into the business school dean's handling knocked her uh, for her handling and the way she imposed uh, discipline on on the business school dean said she overstepped her bounds in a number of areas. So I think all that has come in and played, and we just don't have the stability there, as you as you said, right? There's. There's four presidents or interim presidents in a very short time. There's been massive turnover on the board it, itself. You've had people resign, you know, well-respected people uh, who have been on other boards, you know, lasted a couple, a few months, and then they quit because they were upset with the, the governance and transparency. Um, we've seen that happen twice now. And so all of this has just gone in to this mess and this turmoil, and now here comes this high profile situation. And in some ways, it shouldn't be a surprise that it took so long to act because I think there's some paralysis that has set in. Hmm. Everyone's a little afraid to act because everything they've done, whichever decision they've made over the last, you know, seven years, eight years has been the wrong decision um, in how they have responded to these to these situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bradley, I wonder if you can talk a little about the accountability that should exist for these boards of governance uh, at Wayne and Michigan and Michigan State. They are elected statewide, and that's unusual. It's not just unusual in the state. It's unusual in, in, in terms of how other states uh, govern their universities. And so technically, I suppose you would say that the, the trustees are accountable to the people directly. At the same time, uh, it, it seems as though there is a, a, a duality or at least um, uh, a confusion about uh, that, that accountability and, and that in many cases some, some members of the boards may feel accountable to the parties that helped get them elected. They may feel accountable to fans of the football teams or the basketball teams at the universities, uh, how should that accountability work? And and in their minds, when they're acting on these issues, who should they be thinking about in terms of who they are serving? 
so, so I think traditionally what you'll see is you'll see boards have a very technocratic type of role. You know, their role is to provide oversight, you know, as I suggested, ask questions of a president of an administration, you know, be informed of issues so that they can make sure that the institution is heading in the right direction. If there is an issue, you know, make sure that it gets the right resources to correct that issue or even, you know, remove, you know, a leader president from um, um, office. In these types of situations where there is, you know, a political element to a board, you get something that's more similar to an activist um, board member. And so if you look in the corporate world, you know, General Motors um, recently did uh, dealt with this. You get activist board members who join these boards and they want to see a policy position, you know, advocated for. They want to see a policy position, you know, pushed. So, you know, their interest in providing oversight and being informed of issues that are not aligned um, with their specific policy interests, you know, kind of sometimes, you know, fall by the wayside. So I think, you know, here where you have activists, you know, um, board members or I should say, you know, you know, people with, you know, who come from a political background because they are, uh, you know, elected, you know, you, ha- you have a challenge um, when you face issues that might not necessarily be be aligned with their priorities. Mm-hmm. And in, in the corporate world, when an activist, you know, board member is not successful, they usually leave, right? You know, or, you know, maybe there's a power struggle in the group, you know, who loses out in the power struggle, they leave. And they leave, you know, within a year, two years, sometimes even in a shorter period of time. Here, these people are installed for eight years. So the levers for holding someone accountable, you know, are much more limited. You know, when you look at a state representative in Michigan or a congressional member, that's two years. You know, the people, the voters, you know, can hold someone accountable um, for an issue in a much, you know, shorter period of time. Um, but when you have an eight-year term, you know, the le- the levers for accountability um, are much more limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think structurally, you know, there's there's an impediment. Um, in the state of Michigan, and I don't want to you know, go to the you know to the you know advocate for the position you know whether um, you know elected board or appointed board is better, but I think the levers for accountability um, you know the, the, they they're not necessarily aligned with best practices when you look um, you know across the nation or you look even analogously to you know the corporate world. Yeah, uh, David, uh, you, you cover higher ed. Uh, talk about and governance. Uh, uh, talk about how we fit into. I guess that that national sense of best practice, and then talk. I mean, for for many years, you were the higher ed reporter at the Detroit Free Press, and so uh, you know many members of this board. You've written about them uh, over over the years. Give us a sense of who you think they are accountable to, and and how they calculate that into the decision making uh, when they're when they're dealing with these issues. So Michigan's an oddity in a, a couple of ways. One, we're an oddity in that we have directly um, elected, as we've been talking about, members of the three big university boards. We're also weird in that we're split. So while Michigan, University of Michigan, Michigan State, and Wayne State are all directly elected, all of the regional universities, Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, Western, Grand Valley, all of those, those folks are appointed by the governor right, for terms. And mm-hmm. so whichever governor comes into power, they pass those appointments out um, just like like normal. We also are unique in that we have no um, overarching board um, that all of the universities report to. Mm-hmm. And so there's no 
there's no accountability there. So, for example, if there was a, a some sort of statewide educa higher education board, much like there is a statewide um, K-12 board, perhaps, you know, the there was something going on in Michigan State, they'd have the ability to replace board members. So most states appoint their board, mem yes. their more board members, governors do. But we have to be careful, and it's fair to say, right, that we that, that can run into problems. Look no further than new, the new college down in Florida, where Ron DeSantis mm -hmm. wiped out the board, put all of his <laughs> super conservative folks in, and totally changed what that school was about, right? And so it's not like suddenly switching Michigan to all appointed folks is some panacea and everything's going to be smooth sailing from then from then on. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, it's more like we need to have a conversation about uh, governance and what it looks like and how we might think of it differently. I mean, I, I agree that the appointed model has its own uh, foibles and, and potential real vulnerabilities. Um, but but it does seem like there there hasn't been a conversation in a really long time in Michigan about how we might do it differently. Yeah, there was a floated around the Nassar stuff uh, when that came out several years ago. You know, it, there was a little bit of a conversation there, but not much. Remember too that these universities are are, are protected in the state constitution, yes. right? That it explicitly details how they are to be run yes and so any conversation not only has to take into effect you know what should we do it also is do you open up the michigan constitution for a rewrite and if you're going to open it for higher ed then do you open it for you know one of 35 other issues right right Okay, uh, Bradley Dizick, it was really great to have you here to shed some light on the compliance issues uh, that uh, our boards of governance at the universities face. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. We're going to keep David Jesse with us talking about our boards of governance here in the, the state of Michigan, but also going to add another voice to the conversation. Dimitri Morgan is an associate professor in the higher education program at Loyola University in Chicago. His research uh, takes a look at some of these governance issues as well. We also want to get going with you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and become part of the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you have decided to join. We've been talking about the decision in East Lansing to fire head football coach Mel Tucker at Michigan State University. Also talking about the role that university leadership and the public play 
in these matters. But to get a better idea of how boards of leadership play at our public institutions, I'm joined now by Dimitri Morgan. He is an associate professor in the higher education program for Loyola University in Chicago. Professor Morgan, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Uh, also, we still got David Jesse with us. He is a higher ed uh, reporter at the Chronicle for Higher Education. Um, okay. So, uh, Professor Morgan, I want to start with you. Uh, let's talk about what you think the role is of boards of regents or trustees at these major universities here in Michigan, at the three largest universities, they're elected statewide. Uh, right. What are voters putting them into that position to do? Yeah, so ultimately boards uh, are what we describe as fiduciaries, um, right? And when we think about fiduciaries in the financial sense, it's you're supposed to act in the best interest of, you know, an organization, a client. And so boards are fiduciaries of university. And so the, the public is entrusting them to always act in the best interest of the university to ensure its longevity uh, and sustainability into the future. And so, you know, we want you know, institutions were established for particular purposes um, with resources from, you know, state and federal governments. And so the board's responsibility is to ensure the longevity um, and to protect the university for as long as possible. So at the highest level, that's what the voters are doing. They're saying you all are responsible. The eight of you are responsible for um, making sure that Michigan State is around for another 100 years, another 200 years um, at, at its highest level. And this idea of electing them for eight-year terms, uh, which is a, a pretty long time, uh, is that the best way to, to hold them accountable to not just the voters, but also to the, to the institution itself? Yeah, I mean, I think your your previous guess was spot on. There's there's a lot of tensions here. Obviously, it, Michigan's uh, role of of electing um, regents is very unique. But on the one hand, I kind of compare it sometimes when I'm talking about it in class to the Supreme Court, where ideally on paper, you want this entity of regents to be above reproach. You want them to be free of political uh, expediency, and you want them to, again, always be able to act in the best interest of the institution. And so on the one hand, that eight years sort of gives them the ability to say, okay, I'm here, I'm in this role, I'm going to really learn the institution learn what's best and be able to act in that best interest uh, accordingly. Uh, but on the flip side, because of the um, accountability levers and mechanisms are not clear in terms of how to hold the board accountable or who the board is accountable to, it makes it really messy when the board isn't acting in the best interest of the university or there's contest of power in terms of whether they could be doing a better job. And I think Michigan State is showing the, the downsides of, of that, but um, I think ideally there is some wisdom in the eight-year, you know, term to be able to, um, you know, free the the trustees and the, the regents from some of that political interference that could uh, cause other issues. We're talking about governance at uh, some of our state universities here in Michigan, including Michigan State University, where the administration and the board of trustees has decided to fire Mel Tucker, the head football coach, for his involvement uh, with a sexual harassment contractor uh, that came to light recently. Uh, let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. 
Good morning, Stephen. It doesn't surprise me that this board or any other is uh, hesitant to take any action. They want the perks, but anything that comes up that could be a potential scandal could uh, affect their reputation and their donations. So they kind of take a head in the sand position until it's exposed uh, by a third party. And when there is an investigation, who do they ask? Do they go to the people that know the clerks, the secretaries, the people who know the inside information, or do they go to the department heads hmm. who have an interest in covering up things? Hmm. Bernadette, really appreciate the call and uh, and the questions. Uh, Dimitri Morgan, this, this question of uh, how and when you disclose, mm-hmm. you know, controversial information about the university when you are uh, part of it. I mean, that's that's what Michigan State's board is caught up in here. I think is is mm-hmm. the, the the reluctance to make this public to do something before uh, the football season started. I think is probably what they were looking right. at, um, and right. and then only acting once it leaks and becomes a public scandal. I mean, that's that is at the heart of this question about who they're accountable to. I think. Yeah, and it's a a really important, um, you know, sort of case study in understanding the importance of transparency uh, for boards and, you know, remembering ultimately who the board is responsible to, which is the public, which is the constituents of the the university. And And so when you get into a situation like this where you're trying to decide is there reputational harm, um, how are we going to deal with the reputational harm, you don't want to add to it, right? This is already going to be a scandal, whether you, you know, are transparent and release it, you know, up front and communicate versus, you know, sitting on it. And so they added to the reputational harm that they were likely trying to uh, avoid and in that cause, you know, an even bigger issue because now we're both talking about the, you know, football scandal and the sort of the, the cover up, um, and and that's a, a really you know poor sort of sense of of, of leadership, um, in in terms of you know what we would consider be, to be best practices, which is to be transparent, to be forthright, to be above it all, uh, and do the right thing even in the face of challenges. And that's what the the regents are there to do. That's why you get an eight year term. That's why you're supposed to be above reproach. Um, and and they they sort of missed the mark on that, and it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, uh, David Jesse, I want to bring you back. And to, to respond to Bernadette as well, was this just about the football season and the worry that that this scandal would take from them this coach who who everybody was pretty enthusiastic about until all of this other detail came out? I, I mean, I think it was about the football season in one extent. I mean, they scheduled it for the hearing for. Um, October 5th, which is in their bye week, so that it wouldn't take away from from any football. It would probably take another month for the findings or whatever that decision was from that hearing to be to be wrapped up. And then you're look so then you're looking at the end of the football season before presumably the public would hear anything anything about it. I, I think it's also about you know um, whether or not they made the right choice, you know, and that plays into it. Remember Mel Tucker uh, in 2021 got a 10-year, $95 million contract uh, off of in the middle of, you know, just one season of success, mm-hmm. a massive contract made him one of the highest paid. And I think, you know, now there are questions about 
did the institution do a good job of vetting him? Remember when he was hired, Mark Antonio left Michigan State at the last possible second. They had focused on another candidate who decided, who looked at the, who looked at the board and the university <laughs> administration and said, I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. And, didn't come. and so they went to Mel in kind of a rushed process and said, would you come? He said, no, I'm going to stay in Colorado. And they said, well, we'll throw a pile of money at you. And he said, okay, I'll come. And then he got here and they threw another pile of money at him. And so now there's also questions playing in here of, did you make the right choice? What was your process in vetting the vetting the hire? And so there's those factors that also complicate, you know, no one likes to admit that, you know, when it came to the most high profile, or one of the two most high profile Michigan State employees, they might not have done such a great job in the hiring process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dimitri Morgan, I, w- I want to have you talk just a little about what you would see as a path forward at some place like Michigan State, given that this is not the first time that we've had this kind of issue with right. uh, governance, but also with transparency uh, about governance, but but also uh, in, in the context of the other universities that seem to be having trouble with this. Wayne State and and the University of Michigan have separate problems, uh, but they're but they're related. What's what's the step that we take to to try to rein some of this in? I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is I almost feel like I should be on Michigan State's payroll because I was just, you know, in fall <laughs> 22 on Michigan State's campus. I was invited by College of Education colleagues and they were doing an amazing teaching to help the campus understand shared governance and boards of trustees and, you know, why is Michigan different? Um, and I was there and we spent a day long talking to students, faculty and staff, and it was a great event to try to wait, raise awareness about how does this work? How does, you know, why is Michigan so different? And here we are a year later and I'm still talking about Michigan State, different scandal this time, different issue. And so, you know, the, the, the part of the way forward in, and you know, I really appreciate the, the opportunity and platform is to bring more awareness to boards, to yeah. um, the public consciousness. You know, yes, you know, maybe Michigan voters are, are maybe a little bit more engaged with their board because they vote directly, but just more nationally, the conversation only comes up when we see these flashpoint issues, when we see Nicole Hannah-Jones the, the deny tenor at, at UNC. Yes. Uh, but boards exist in every community. Um, you know, they're at every institution and the, the level of understanding that people have about what role they play in you know local economic development and you know community partnerships and then obviously admissions and um, you know the educational outcomes uh, is really a key component that I think far too many people just kind of ignore or don't understand and so a uh, part of the way forward to answer your question succinctly is is better awareness uh, mm. by the average you know everyday person and citizen and then I think the other part is you know boards radically trying to starting to change what it means to be transparent and revisiting the the norms that for so long have gone um, kind of unchecked and really saying like in this you know next 10 years post pandemic is what we've been doing for the last 50 years gonna gonna serve us well and increasingly we see we're seeing the answer is no so how do we be creative moving forward to establish new governance norms and I'm really hoping that more and more people start to put pressure on boards uh, for that conversation yeah uh, David Jesse what's the like likelihood that we get to that conversation that <laughs> Professor Morgan's talking about. I, you know, I, I, I chuckle, you know, and we all chuckle about it. I think it depends in large part on on the public, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about think about 
this case, why is Mel Tucker not the head football coach or in the process of becoming not the head football coach at Michigan State? It was public pressure, right? If the public had not known about this, he would still he'd still be coaching mm-hmm. all the way up through the hearing, right? Why were you know why were changes made at the University of Michigan? pretty sweeping changes in how they handle sexual assault. It was public pressure on that board to say, hey, look at you guys knew about this. The university itself knew about the problems with Robert Anderson for decades, for decades and did nothing. You need to make substantive real change. And so until the public really pushes for that change, I don't think it's going to be anything. Remember, Michigan State could have done all this years ago i talked to rachel den hollander for a story i just wrote for the chronicle mm-hmm. and she said this is the exact same thing we spent eight months working with them building a entire reform platform all the things you needed to do and it got to the board vote and they voted not to go ahead with it yeah, yeah. you know and so until you have that public pre- if you leave it just up to the board they're not going to change it. if there's public pressure on it then you'll see these changes yeah yeah. Okay, uh, David Jesse of the Chronicle of Higher Ed and Dimitri Morgan, a professor at Loyola University. It was really great to have both of you here with us uh, to talk about this. Thanks so much for joining us right today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show, you get a lot out of it. You ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relative, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.